We're in a series called The Long Church. What happens if you do something and keep doing it for the long haul? We are believing that we are going to be a long church. The title of the message today is The Long Family. The Long Family. What happens if we lead and love our families God's way and continue to lead and to love our families? We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9. And as you turn there, I just want to share a remark about my father. Um, you know, I'm blessed to have two parents who love the Lord, who are still together, and who raised me and my three brothers right. Uh, some of you know my father's story. I pre- uh, shared it in a message last year called The House My Father Built. But he and his dad were unreconciled for over 30 years of his life, the first 30. In fact, my father was adopted, uh, legally adopted by a man named Clay McGraw, which is where my last name comes from. It's not actually my biological last name. His father was that much outside of the picture. And it wasn't until my dad had kids of his own that my mom began to do the work to find out where his dad was and come to find out his father for the first 30 years of his life, although they had no contact or communication, had lived three miles away his whole life. They began a relationship and started to form something there, but it was within just a year or two that my grandfather was planning to retire to Florida, which he did. And so that which looked like a promising start meant a setback. And for the next many years, my grandfather was in Florida, and they began the slow and the hard work of building back that relationship. About four or five years ago, my grandfather moved from Florida up to New Bern, North Carolina, into the community that my father and my mother have retired to. They live about three minutes away now. They eat dinner together all the time, and every time me and my boys go down there, we get to see them, and they get to know their great-grandfather, which is really special. My grandfather is old. He's in his 90s. I think he's mid-90s. I think he's 95 or 96. His health is failing, and I've watched as my dad now, late in his life as well, has cared for his father, driven him to and from hospitals, sat with him, visited with him, taken care of, you know, end-of-life planning. Right now, they're in the middle of moving his father from their home to an assisted living facility right down the street. And when we talk with my parents, I see the stress and the difficulty that it takes to walk with your, with your, with your father, with your parents in this way. But my dad, whenever he talks about it, he always says this. He goes, yeah, it's hard, but my Bible tells me to honor my father and mother, and I'm just trying to do my best at that. And I don't know, Dad, if you're watching second service. I know you watch first service. But God sees that. And more importantly, well, I don't know, as importantly, I see that and my brothers see that. And you are a living testimony of a man and mom as a woman who have honored your parents well. And I believe the promise of Scripture is true for you, that it will and it has gone well with you for the rest of your days. So thank you for being to me what we've needed you to be so that I can be to my boys what they need me to be. So happy Father's Day. I love you guys. Let's read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9 through 12. Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica, he says this. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. While we proclaimed to you the gospel of God, You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you, believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Let's pray.
Father, help us here today to hear a word from heaven that forms and shapes us for the rest of our lives. Help me to be clear, to draw all attention to you, Father. Come and have your way, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I love what Paul is doing in this passage of scripture as he writes to the church in Thessalonica. What he's doing is he's helping them to understand the way that the body of Christ is to interact with one another. He's showing us through the language of family that there's something about the way the Christian community should treat and care for and interact with one another that represents and reflects the family. Just a few verses before this, Paul talks about how they were like mothers to them. They were gentle, they were affectionate, they cared for them, and they nurtured them as, as those who were young in their faith. And now in our passage, he uses the language of being like a father to them. It tells me there's something about the kingdom of God that ought to reflect family. The language of the body of Christ is the language of family. Family is a core value of this church, and it's one that Pastor Tellis and I have spent a lot of time talking about lately. It's one of, I mean, if you can have a favorite core value, I think we love all of them, but we really love family. We believe it's the heartbeat of our church. And if we don't espouse the value of family well, first he and I, and then our staff, and then our church, and each one of you, if we miss the heartbeat of being a family, we will turn into a church of religious zealots and rule followers. And we don't want nothing to do with that. Because Jesus did not come to give us more rules. He came to bring us into right relationship with him and the Father. And that's what we want to mark us, that we would be a family united, who walks together, who loves one another, that there's something about this dynamic in this room that speaks to healthy and vibrant families. The language of the kingdom of God is the language of family. And Paul is showing us in this passage, I think, a number of really cool ways that that teach us what a long family looks like. A family that's in it for the long haul. A family with a long perspective on life. A family who's not just trying to get through today, but a family that has its eyes set on eternity. That yet today has enough troubles for its own, but we are building not just to get to bedtime. We are building for the kingdom of heaven here on earth. There's something greater happening in this family than what happens just in this day. It's the long family. And I think there's three things he draws out for us that we'll talk about today in this passage. He talks about the work of a father, the witness of a family, and the way of a father. Let's talk about the work of a father. If there's one thing every parent in this room knows is how much work it is to be a parent. Paul says, we labored, we toiled day and night that we might not be a burden to you while proclaiming the gospel to you. Being a parent is hard work, man. I know that. There's some, you know, I think they tell young parents, oh, you've only got them for 18 years just to help them get through those first years because some of y'all wizened parents, you know, you got them for life. You got your kids for life. Whether they live with you or not, you've got them for life and you've got no days off as a parent. I thought about titling this message, No Days Off, and then Pastor Tellus preached that great word on the long rest and I thought it would be confusing for our church to go, let's have a long rest followed by no days off. It's kind of, that might be, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say, you never stop being a parent. You never stop being a parent, no matter where you're at. You are always thinking about and believing for your children, whether they're in your home or not. It's hard work. But the good news is I've discovered something. I don't know if all you other dads have discovered this or not, but I've, I've stumbled upon a magical little moment that happens every day for dads. 
It's this moment after, uh, it may have changed shape a little bit since COVID if you're working from home a bit more, but there's this moment after a long day of work. You might drive into the office, do your meetings, your phone calls, your emails, get your work done, you know, all the stress and the pressures of the daily grind and all of that. Then you commute home and maybe you're on calls on the way home. And, and before you go in your house to then be dad and to be husband and to just, just switch gears but keep going, you have this moment in your car where you pull into the driveway, you cut the ignition and you go like this. And that was your moment for the whole day to yourself. That was your one moment of peace and quiet. I call it the dad break. You get one breath. All right, now I'm dad. Let's go inside. Now, the dad break has nothing on the mom blink, which I've seen my wife take once or twice. It's like an extended blink. She closes her eyes and it's a little bit slow to open it. That's her break for the day. So moms, you got it way worse. I, I know that. I've seen that. But I'm just trying to say it's hard to be a parent. It's hard work. You're never off duty. But what does Paul say is the purpose and the point of all of his hard work and labor? He says, we've labored day and night that we might not be a burden to you. You I think it goes without saying that parents should never be a burden to their children. Your kids weren't meant to carry you. You were meant to carry them. And yet for many in this room, even as I say that, all you can think of is the pain and the hurt and the frustration and the difficulty you have with your parents. You go, yeah, I know they're not supposed to be a burden, but man, it's been a burden in my life. And I would just say two things to you. I think first, I would just say, I'm really sorry that that's your situation and that's your reality. That's not God's design or intent for you. It's not God punishing you. It's nothing that you've done wrong that's brought that upon you or your family. And I would just encourage you to see your parents rightly as sinners in need of saving and in need of the same grace every day that you and I need every single day. And there's something on your life as a son and a daughter and the way that you live and act, your attitudes, the way that you display grace to them that absolutely can have an eternal impact to rewrite the story of your household and of your family. We've had testimonies in our staff even of this week of that exact thing happening. Years of faithfulness, Years of Christ-like character, years of grace and of forgiveness on, on, just ready to be given that has turned relationships and families around. And so there's something special that you can do even as a son and a daughter because parents are never meant to be burdens to the children. We've got to work hard to make sure that we're not. You know, I think when I think about that, the first kind of thought I have is like, well, okay, I don't want to be a burden, so I want to make sure I provide for them. I think for a lot of dads, it's kind of the thought, well, I'll just make sure I provide, get a roof over their head, clothes on their back, food on their table, they'll be good, I won't be a burden. But I have learned that it is not my ability to provide for my children that burdens them. It's my maturity or lack thereof as a man, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. They experience more than anybody else everything I'm not every single day. And there's nobody else coming to, to help me but me. I've got a responsibility and a duty as a father to make sure that what burdens me doesn't burden them. And I've got to go find God every day to make sure that they do not experience the weight of life that I feel. This is my role as a father and as a protector and as a provider to create a, a covering over my children in which they can flourish and in which they can thrive in. Because it's really hard for a kid to hear truth from someone that is a burden to them. It's really hard for a kid to feel secure when you are projecting insecurity and chaos and confusion every day. 
We've got to work hard not to be a burden to our children day and night. And Paul does this. And I think there's two really important things that Paul does to not be a burden in his hard work and labor. I think the first is this, Paul didn't do this alone. Paul had men and women around him his whole ministry life, helping him, shape him, grow him, form him, that he could become everything he needed to become. We know that Paul was fathered by great men and women of the faith. But I'm encouraged when I read my Bible because even though I know that Paul was fathered, the Bible never mentions Paul's biological father. I know a lot of us, that's that's our point right there. Our biological fathers are not everything we need them to be, want them to be, or should be. And I'm encouraged by that because that means that there are men and women in this room who can be spiritual fathers and mothers to you. That you don't do this alone. You don't raise your family alone. You don't lead by yourself. You do it with others. Paul never went into any situation by himself. And while he was there, Paul says, I labored day and night. I toiled for you that we might not be a burden to you while I proclaim the gospel to you. How else did Paul make sure he wasn't a burden? As he was preaching the gospel to them every day. And here's the thing about preaching the gospel. Every time you preach the gospel to somebody else, you also preach it to yourself. So I love to teach Discover Discipleship because whenever I do it, I get the chance to reteach myself the gospel. And I just ask anybody in here who's taken it with me, I say the whole time, I'm like, I love this class. I love this material. It's so good because every one of us needs to be reminded every single day of the truth of the gospel and what that means for you in your life. You know, I know all my areas of lack. I know all the things that I'm not. I know all my shortcomings. Please, you don't have to remind me or point them out. I promise you, I've seen them first, and I'm more familiar with them than any of you have ever been. It's a little bit too much laughter on that. I'm not sure. (laughs) But the only way that I can be what my family needs me to be is to make sure that every day I'm speaking this gospel to everyone around me, most of all to myself. What does that mean? That means every day I am reminding myself that I have a savior in Jesus who unburdened me from my sin that I could walk in freedom. And it was nothing I did to earn that. It was a free gift that he gave me. That out of his love for me as a father, he says, I'm going to take your place, give you everything that I am, and I'll take everything you are on myself. You're not good enough, but I'm good enough for you. And I will be everything you need so that your family and your household can thrive under your leadership. I teach myself that every day. That even when I make mistakes as a parent, I remind myself. But God's steadfast love endures forever. His grace knows no end. His mercies are new every day, AJ. It's okay. You got it, man. It's okay. There is grace. Even when your children mess up, you can forgive them the way that God has forgiven you. You don't need to hold it over their heads. You can be patient and loving to them. I don't know how anybody raises children without Jesus. I really don't. I really don't. I cannot get through a day without him. I am preaching this word back to myself every day. And this is my work as a father. I wonder what are the things that are burdening you as a parent or as a member of the body of Christ. Whether it's a desire for control that produces anger in your reactions whether it's insecurity and anxiety that creates an environment of fear or you try to hold your kids in so close, you never give them the autonomy to step out on their own and to grow up into, self, um, uh, uh, into independent uh, men and women. I wonder if it's 
just the pressure of achievement and success that you place on them, that they need to grow up to be everything you weren't, and that weight crushes them. I know for a lot of dads, it's, it's just being passive. It's just being lazy. It's just not being present. And this takes work. And I just want to tell you, especially for the men in the house, nobody else does that work for you. You do that work. Paul says, I labored, I toiled day and night to make sure I wasn't a burden to any of you. This is the work of a father. This is the work of a father. But I believe the work of a father summed up best in this. You know, I asked Bishop Brett one time for his best parenting advice. And he said, uh, the thing about parenting is parenting is not about helping your children grow up. It's about you growing up. And once I, you know, scoop myself up off the floor (laughs) and put myself back together, I realized just exactly how true that is. I had some growing up to do. I had some maturing. I had some things in my life I had to take care of. And it reset my perspective on my family and on my role as a father and as a husband in my household. There is no greater relationship to me. There is no relationship of more importance to me than that to my wife and to my children. And I will do everything in my power to make sure that that is vibrant and healthy and that they are poured into first, that they are cared for first. So if you're asking me, yeah, no, I don't have time to goof around on the internet and look at stuff I'm not supposed to. I don't have time to play video games all night long. I don't have time to feel sorry for myself every day because I know I've got work to do. I got people in my house that need me. And I can't take days off because I don't want them to suffer under something that I'm not and grow up becoming the worst parts of me. I want them becoming the best parts of me every single day. So I work at it. And I work hard at it. This is the work of a father and of a mother. And I believe the work of a father yields the witness of a family. There's no greater testimony to the world than that of a healthy and vibrant family because I don't think there's anybody in a family that doesn't want their family to be healthy, vibrant, united, full of love. That's what everybody wants. And if we can model that, if we can live a way that, that shows the world that that can be their lived reality by the grace of God, not just by through human effort, because human effort will fall short, fall short but, but placed rightly in the love of Jesus... That's going to be something that transforms every, every environment that you step foot in. I think the witness of a family starts, however, with the witness of the father. Paul says, you've seen my conduct. You've seen how I've behaved. You've seen how holy and righteous and blameless we were before you. What is Paul doing? <clears throat> Paul's actions have paved way for Paul's instructions. So we know that actions speak louder than words. But more than that, I think actions make room for instruction. Sometimes our kids can't hear what we're saying because of all the things that we're doing. And when your words and your actions don't line up, 10 times out of 10, your actions take the cake. And the thing I've learned even at this young age with my children is my children are always, always, always watching. Even moments I didn't think they were. And they're saying and repeating stuff back to me. I'm like, where did you get that from? Oh, my goodness. That's from me. (laughs) Actions make room for instructions. Ralph Waldo Emerson, one time, he said it like this. He said, uh, what you do speaks so loudly, I cannot hear what you say. 
Actions make room for instruction. The instruction we give ought to line up with the life that we lead. Charles Spurgeon said it like this. He says, parents, train up a child in the way that he should go, but be sure to go that way yourself. (laughs) How often is that exactly where the disconnect comes? But when we can tie those back up and marry those together and go, I got some work to do. And it starts with how I behave. It starts with my conduct. If I can line those things up, we get to a point where the witness of our family tells the testimony of Jesus to the world. And now listen, perfection is not the goal here. Let me just unburden you from that for a moment. Perfection is not the goal. Like we say in uh, marriage ministry, we say uh, the, the goal in marriage isn't to not have conflict. The goal in marriage is to have healthy conflict that's resolved in a Christ-like manner. Good luck getting through marriage without conflict. It's a crazy goal. I ask couples, how's it been going lately? Oh, well, we haven't fought. I'm like, okay, wait another day. (laughs) How is it going though, right? Like conflict's gonna come. The goal isn't to not have conflict. It's to handle conflict in a mature Christ-like way. The goal with your children isn't to have children who never get in trouble. The goal as a parent with your children is to walk with them through the trouble and the difficulty that they have in life, portraying love and grace and the kindness of God to them so that they can learn from those mistakes, grow up in a healthy, secure household, and know that God's love and forgiveness is genuine because they've experienced every day from mom and dad. The goal of parenting is not to make your kids as successful as possible, that they might make the most money or have the title or the degrees or go to the university that you want them to go to. The goal in parenting is to root and establish your child's identity in Christ so securely that no matter what they become, they know exactly who they are in God. We're not trying to be perfect But there ought to be something about the way you lead your family that testifies to Jesus to the world. There ought to be something about your household that smells different to every environment that you're in. The witness of your family is one of the most powerful in shaping influences in the world because that's one thing everybody wants. Everybody wants it. And if you can lead and love and work hard and set a model of righteousness in the way that you walk every day in your household, Not only will your family blossom and thrive under your leadership, it will shape the community of people around you. They will want what you've got. This is the witness of a family. It testifies to the love of Jesus. Lastly, let's talk about the way of a father. This is the way. Told me everything I needed to know. Paul identifies three things, every father, and again, that means every believer, because Paul is not only speaking to fathers, he's using fathers and mothers as language around how he describes how the church should behave. He says, like a father, we exhorted each one of you, we encouraged you, and we charged you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Said another way, fathers ought to give direction, affection, and correction. We exhorted you. Solomon writes in the Proverbs, in the fourth proverb, he says, Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. 
In Proverbs 3, he writes, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. I believe there is a biblical instruction for fathers and mothers to give wisdom and to teach knowledge to your children. And I believe that what the Bible is telling me is that that wisdom from a father, that instruction about the world is more valuable to them than gold. That there's a priceless quality about your teaching, your exhortation, and your instruction. And I think the primary lens as you're looking at, okay, well, what, what do I teach my kids? Just how to change a tire? Like how to, you know, make pancakes? Like what am I teaching them? Yes, and. I think a father's exhortation, a mother's exhortation ought to be that which forms a biblical worldview by teaching them the ways of Jesus. What I mean by that is the biblical worldview is the framework by which they understand and interpret the world around them. And we want to give them a framework to understand and interpret this world that's filtered through the life and ministry of Jesus. The one who was the one true human, the one who, who navigated the temptations and the sin of this world better than anybody else ever has. Because this world is crazy enough on its own, we cannot let our children try to navigate it without us. There is too much pain, too much confusion, too much moving targets around the definitions of anything. Everything seems to be moving in our culture. There's no anchor, and that can only breed insecurity. That can only bring, breed anxiety. Our culture, our society is experiencing record rates of depression, anxiety, and suicidal ideation. And we need godly fathers and mothers who can teach our children. You're not an unhealthy child in a normal world. You're a normal child in an unhealthy world. And what's wrong in your soul is not wrong with you. It's that you are experiencing what Paul talks about in Romans 8. That all of creation is groaning. It's yearning. It's crying. Crying out for the sons of God to be revealed. That even our world now is saying, isn't there a better way? Isn't there anybody who can do this right? And we go, yes. That is what the church of God exists to be. God knows this world is crazy. Uh, but trust me, son. He sees it more than you see it. He's in every moment across the globe at all times. He knows better than anybody else. He has diagnosed it in his word and he has commissioned us as a family of Christ followers that we will be the salt and light of this world. So we can trust him with our fear. We can go to him with our anxiety. We can take our worry to the foot of the cross and put our faith and our hope and our trust in a savior who moves heaven and earth to come and to save and redeem his people. And you, son, you're a part of that. Our household is a part of that. We need godly fathers and mothers to teach us. We, the family of God, we need each other. We need all of us. We need all generations. I don't know if anyone's told you this, but I'll make sure I'll just say it very clearly. Pastor Tellis is in my vision for this church is not to fill it with 20 and 30-year-olds. It's just not. I don't know if you feel that way, if you've been worried about that. I can promise you. That we are a multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church will never change in this house because we understand the value and the need for spiritual fathers and mothers of all generations to teach, to preach, to instruct, and to give good counsel to these crazy 20 and 30-year-olds. <laughs> we need all generations. 
We need spiritual fathers and mothers who can teach and exhort the word of God to all generations. Secondly, Paul says, um, we encouraged you. We showed, in my words, to say we showed affection to you. You know, I want the loudest voice that my kids hear every day to be the affirmation, encouragement, and love of their father. And there's not a day that goes by where I don't tell them everything I believe they can be, all that I see in them, and how proud I am of them. I don't waste a moment with my sons. I want to make sure they live every day knowing how pleased their dad is with them. And listen, that's true on the hard days as well. Unless you think my beautiful little children, who are absolutely beautiful, are saints by any measure, let me dispel that myth right now. They are sinners just like their father and mother are. (laughs) And we have hard days too. We have days where there's screaming, there's crying, there's being huddled up in a corner, and that's usually just Michelle and I. There's days where disobedience run, r- runs rife, where the correction has, seems to do nothing, where the discipline seems to not accomplish a thing. But I promise you, even on those days and on each and every one of those days, as I tuck my boys in tonight, I promise you, even on our hardest days, I tell them every time, you are an amazing son, and I'm so proud to be your dad, and I love you so much. Every day, because I want the loudest and the last voice they hear to be that of the affirmation, encouragement, and love of their father. Do not underestimate the power your affection has on your children. The pressures, the weight, the stress of this world. Listen, your kids know when they do wrong, just like you know when you do wrong. And I have found even with my kids at the age that they're at, maybe you've seen this with your teenagers or kids who are older, sometimes the weight, the pressure of the world is so big on them and, or so in this situation, maybe just the emotions that come up, they can't control that no amount of correction or talking does anything. I just go, come here, man, just, just give me a hug. Just give me a hug. They come over and they give me a hug. They let it all out and then we can have a conversation and then we can rebuild from there. And I wonder if you've ever felt that same way with God, where you look at the chaos of the world and the pain and the pressure and the frustration, or you look at your your own displeasure with your own sin patterns and habits, and you just are overwhelmed by it all, and you just can't, you just are going from anxious thought to angry thought to everything in between. You're all over the place with your behavior, with your words, with your thoughts and everything, and you come to God, and God is just saying what? Fix yourself, do better. No, God is just saying, just come here. Come here, I got you. Come here. And how many of us have experienced the grace of the love of God that embraces us where we're at, that doesn't doesn't condemn us, doesn't shame us, but loves us, embraces us, sits with us? And what does that produce in your soul when you remember that God did not save you because of how good or bad you are? God knows exactly who you are but he is steadfastly committed to you for all eternity, regardless of how you behave. Your father in heaven loves you and you always have a safe place to return to him there. This is our job as parents is to reflect that love to our children. So it might be easy to run into a word of correction or a word of discipline. Let me challenge you. Maybe it's a word of affection that will change the environment in your household. Lastly, Paul says, we charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God he who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. I think the way of the fathers 
in the kingdom of God requires us to charge our children and to charge one another to walk in a manner worthy of God. This is where we call up our children to a higher standard. So where we set a high bar in our household and as Christians and as the family of God, that there are certain things we do and certain things we don't do. We're calling them up to a high standard. And in our house, as much as the temptation is to tell our kids what not to do, we ought to as much or more be telling them what we do, who we are, and defining behaviors in the positive for them. Not just don't do that, don't go there, don't do this, don't do Man, you know the weight of that. But this is who we are. We are a family that honors one another. We are generous. That's what we do. We are hospitable. We have people over. We give our stuff away. Win or lose, we're always kind. That's one that we say in our house to the little ones. No matter what, we define them in the positive. We're calling them up. And when we set a standard and set the lanes by which we are to operate as a family, and they violate those standards after we've called them up, that's when we call them out. And that's where correction and discipline comes in. When they violate the standards that you have set, but here's the thing, if you've never set standards, your correction is chaotic. Because now we're just, oh, I didn't know I couldn't do that. I can't go. And you create an insecure environment. What do we know about discipline in the Bible? The Bible tells us in Proverbs 3 that the Lord loves, uh, the Lord disciplines him who he loves. Which tells me this, that there ought to be something about the way we discipline and correct our children that communicates our love for them. Not our frustration, not our strength, not our disappointment. It ought to communicate our love for them. That when we bring correction in a moment, it ought to be coded in something that they know this is happening because of my father and my mother's heart for me. That they want me to grow up to be a righteous one, one who honors others, one who, whatever, whatever it's there for, right? They, they are rooted in the security of that. Our discipline ought to communicate something about our love for them. And let's talk about, I feel like we have to on Father's Day, let's, let's, let's talk about the rod of Scripture. <laughs> Bible also says that, uh, let me make sure I get it right before I get any emails from the church. Let me just read it the way the Bible says it so you can take it up with them. It says like this, it says like this, he who spares the rod hates his son, and he who loves his son is diligent to discipline him. This man has experienced the rod. <laughs> Here's what I know about the rod of discipline, which we love to talk about in the church, especially if you've been around the church for a while. Psalm 23 also speaks of a rod. And it says that your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So as much as our discipline ought to reset right behavior, your discipline ought to communicate something of your love for them and something of comfort to them. And if your rod is not producing comfort and love, there's a good chance you're using it wrong. There ought to be something that says in our house we have a standard, we have boundaries, we have rules, and we have those rules because they honor God. And that is our purpose in our, this earth is to glorify God all of the days of our lives. And when you step outside of that, the lesson you're learning is that your actions have consequences that you cannot do and be whatever you want, whenever you want. There's a standard of conduct. And as we bring correction in a moment like that, there ought to be, and yeah, your kids will probably never say this. I'm not saying you get, like, get them to recite this back, but there ought to be something internally underneath all of this, that there's this sense of great love from my parents for me. 
Like, they would only do this because they really genuinely care about me. And that breeds security in a household. When they know that there's a box within which I can operate. I got it. Now I know. And if I go outside of that, I understand that there might be some correction coming. And that's what we need. Healthy, secure children who understand right living and right discipline so that they can be models to the world and to their friends. We've got to call them up, call them out. Why? So that God can call them into. This is what Paul writes. This is the whole, the whole reason here. We charge you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and his glory. It is incredible to me to think about how generous our God is as a father. The thing that he is giving to us, the thing that he's making available to us, the thing that God is freely offering to us is his kingdom and his glory. That's a free inheritance to sons and daughters, not earned by works, given by a generous God. Those who would repent and call on his name and turn their lives over to him. To live every day to please him and to honor him as Lord and Savior of their lives. God is giving his kingdom and his glory. God offers to us one of the most generous blessings imaginable. He calls us out of darkness and into light. He calls us out of shame and into glory. He calls us out of dysfunction and into function, out of brokenness and into wholeness. He calls us out of patterns of abuse into rhythms of grace. He calls us out of hard-heartedness and into loving kindness. This is the inheritance God the Father offers his family. And this, for us as parents, is our calling as well to call our children into the thing that God is calling them into. Not to hit the marks that we want to hit with our lives, not to be something that we never were, not to help us present an image to the world that we have this great family. At the end of our lives, our children ought to have had an experience with us that so reflects the kingdom of God that God is so accessible to them, that they understand grace and mercy and forgiveness. And so that when the Holy Spirit calls on them one day, it pricks their heart that that call is easy for them to respond to because they have lived their life in an environment that so mirrors the love of God that they can answer the call into the kingdom of heaven. This is what God offers to his family. He's calling you. He's calling you. Mom, dad, let's... Let's join that call. Let's live, let's lead, and let's love in a way that leads our children to the Father.